Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. It's March Madness, Kevin. We're back. It's uh, it's that time of year again. It's that time of year. It's March. It's time for college basketball to take over the world for the next at least two weeks while everyone's into their brackets and then they all get destroyed. And uh, then, of course, we get to the, the national semifinals and stuff. But it's that time of year. It's great. It's the best time of year. It, it truly is. I think we've we've all been waiting for this um, this month, this week. Uh, we are recording this on the evening of Selection Sunday, so a lot has happened in the past week. Uh, it's been a long four days. It has been a long four days. Um, not all that bad. A lot of it. There was a lot of good in there. Uh, a lot to be proud about, but there was also some bad in there, obviously. So. You know, without without belaboring that point, let's let's get into what we saw in these last few days with the Pac-12 tournament. Really, I mean, coming off of that win, uh, that final regular season Pac-12 game against Arizona, you know, we had the number one seed. We had won the conference by a full four game margin, which is massive, and we entered that tournament as the one seed playing the winner of Colorado and Washington, which ended up being Colorado. Now, that was obviously a weird game. That was the first game without Jalen Clark. We had a Colorado team without KJ Simpson and some of their key players playing, uh, not playing. And it was kind of what we expected from a, a Tad Boyle team. Like, they're very well coached, very tough. They gave us a game. Um, ultimately, UCLA ended up beating them. I mean, we figured some stuff out. We figured out how to play a little bit without um, Jalen Clark in the, st- uh, the starting lineup. Uh, our offense looked really pretty improved. And we had Amari Bailey starting to shine. I think that was the, one of the big takeaways from this tournament is that game, Amari Bailey really went off. Colorado is about the freshmen. Uh, and, and, and look, I feel like every team in every conference has like that one team that always seems to give him trouble. And every time we played Colorado this year, it, I don't know what their, if it was a matchup, it was the way they're, they're coached. They are well coached. They are well prepared, but every game has been really tight with them. And this one was no different. Um, I, I thought it would be uh, like that just because of how the other games have gone with Colorado, despite them missing players. And we were missing players as well, but Colorado is all about the freshmen. Um, and, and we talked about it before, right? This pack, this tournament was going to give the chance for, our freshmen and younger guys who haven't been asked to step up to that level yet, step up in pressure moments in a one-and-out situation. Uh, Amari Bailey took the scoring load in this game when, you know, especially you know early on, Tiger and Jaime just didn't have it. And Amari Bailey took over the scoring load, 26 points. And Adem Bona uh, showed a lot of maturity, I thought, to stay on the court for 29 minutes in this game. Uh, grabbed 10 rebounds, 3 blocks, controlled things on defense, uh, that was a lot of maturity from him to come up coming off the game against Arizona where he was he was only able to play what like 10 to 12 minutes in there because he was in, in foul trouble so that was really great and Colorado was all about the freshman and then getting us through a game where our seniors didn't play well look when you lose a guy like Jalen Clark on the perimeter I think what you really need to help fill that void when you don't have another guy like Jalen Clark on the roster is to have your uber-athletic big man really step up to anchor the defense for you down low. 
Uh, and, and that's what Ed Ambona did in that game. I think we are starting to see the full-fledged version of what a Dembona can be. And we've seen flashes of it. We've seen him, you know, develop and get better as the season goes on. That is what we were, I think, expecting from Bone at some point in the season. And to get that now, going into March Madness, going into the tournament, is really a big godsend. Jumping ahead now into Oregon... (laughs) Unfortunately, some of that uh, sheen has been uh, erased a little bit with his injury. So, well, it, I'll say this: I, I was really looking forward to what he could do in the Oregon game because Oregon has the personnel that could get him into foul trouble, and it's the kind of personnel that would give him a lot of trouble. And I thought he was showing again a lot of maturity here. He to was not playing get really well. He was playing really well, controlling things. It it wasn't showing up on the stat sheet yet, right? But it was early in the second half. He'd played 18 minutes. He'd only had two fouls. And both those fouls came on, like, weird plays at the end of the first half, if I remember correctly. So he was playing well. And, of course, he dives for a loose ball. And, you know, we, we still know, don't know exactly what the injury is. I think it's to his left arm. But this was a game that I was looking for to see what he would do against legit big men from Oregon. You know, they have multiple guys who are above 6'11". And he really held his own over there, so that was that was real maturity for him. I of think course, we, Oregon. The story of Oregon was Tiger Campbell. Um, you know, putting us on his back. We're gonna need games like that uh, going forward because we're, well, we're in one in our world. Before we even talk about Tiger Campbell, I think your point about Bona showing his maturity and his growth in this game was really underscored by the fact that when you watch his 18 minutes of that game, Mick Cronin kept him on an island against those Oregon big men. He did not send much help. He did not try to, you know, send the guards in to try to trip the ball. Like, it was Adem Bona versus Dante. Adem Bona versus Kalel Ware. And he held his own almost every single time. I mean, it was impressive to see him just body those dudes up who are, you know, older and more mature than him in some ways, especially Dante. He did not back down from that challenge and, and played incredibly, incredibly good defense. Some of that didn't would not show up in the stat sheet, to your point. But if you watch the tape of him in that game, even in the limited minutes, he he was he was a beast. And even the the injury play, right? Like that was the most Adembona thing. He is kind of this has this freakish knack to steal the ball as a big man. And he poked the ball away and was diving for a loose ball, which, you know, you always love to see that kind of effort. You don't always love to see your big man diving on the floor for the ball. But it was just, you know, it was an unfortunate uh, freak kind of thing to where he just fell on his shoulder, fell on his arm. We're not really sure what what uh, what the injury is. Um, but he was back on the bench he has since been seen moving his arm around, clapping and whatnot. So, and Mick Cronin, I think, as of today, even said that he hopes and thinks he will be back in the next game or two. So that is a good sign. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you you started mentioning this, Kevin. Tiger Campbell in that second half, uh, we saw that Steph Curry mode come to fruition here. Yeah, again, we're in one-and-out mode now, and, and we talked about this. Uh, if we need to generate cheap baskets, we need to generate offense, 
or just plain in general, um, from our three seniors, one of them's going to need to show up on a given day, and we'll ha need to have another one support. In this game, all three of them showed up to some degree, and Tiger really took over for a stretch there. When, when Adem went out, it felt like the wind went out of our sails for about two minutes, three minutes there. And Tiger just took it on his shoulders. He took the responsibility, took the game by the scruff of the neck. And about three minutes later, we were up by 14 or 15 points. And, and that was it. And it, the game was over. So Tiger, Tiger Campbell took Oregon's soul in that stretch. He did. I mean, he, he broke their back. You couldn't stop the guy. And you got to remember, Oregon was playing for their life in this game. Uh, if they won this game, they'd probably get into the field today. Uh, but, again, Adem Bona goes out, and I think even with that, uh, I think we held them to, like, under 10 point, under, like, 15 points the rest of the way. Like, that's freakish stuff. Um, so, like, full credit to, you know, Ken Nwuba, who came in and contributed really good minutes in big this blocks. game. Bona a couple of big blocks. Um, our perimeter defense, I thought, was really the key um, in this game, and we're going to talk about the next game, obviously. But but in this game, running them off the three point line, not get letting them get any kind of easy shots from there, not letting them get in rhythm, I thought was a major key because um, because that's when a team like Oregon gets really dangerous when their outside guys start hitting, and then you really don't know where to go. And we we kind of shut that shit down from the beginning. Yeah, it was an impressive, impressive win. I think with all all things considered, with two starters essentially out, one in the in the middle of the game, to to have those guys, and again, this is the senior leadership. This is these are battle tested guys. This is the experience that we've been harping on for such a long time that, you know, we expect to carry us through these situations, and it is coming to bear now. To beat a team like Oregon by 19, 18, 19 points at the end of the day, uh, when a lot of people you know, were predicting us to lose to that team, uh, is a testament to our toughness. And I think going into the uh, Arizona game, into the championship final, that toughness, I think, that carried through Oregon was amplified by 10 in this game i mean you cannot you cannot help but just marvel at how hard and how tough these guys are like yeah. there's there's nothing you you just you have to admire and i think there's there's just the i think every ucla fan should just deeply appreciate what we're seeing out of this team right now we've tried to say this all year right you got to enjoy the good moments when they come and and how could you not Enjoy. I mean, I think we're all disappointed because it was a loss to Arizona and whatnot, but but how could you not watch that game and appreciate the spirit and the toughness and the effort that went in with all the lineup changes and all the adversity and the injuries and those pathetic referees uh, in that game? Um, you know, the spirit that, that these guys showed to stay in the game and essentially just we, we needed one more shot to win the game uh, in the end, and, and, and it came down there, but... Um, you know, it, it really was an admirable, admirable effort with all the lineup changes to hold a team like Arizona to 36% shooting. That's freaky. Um, again, and that's in the context of the, the injuries and, you know, the, the referees and all the stuff that happened in this game. Um, to hold Arizona to 36% shooting, uh, that, that, that took some guts. Now, you know, but we ended up losing the game and, you know, that, that, that's not fun. But that said, uh, you know, it, it was a great effort. Look, 
if it takes two starters, a ton of bad refereeing, and a miracle three-point shot to beat us in a, in a game like that, I, I can live with that. And as much as that sucks to lose to, you know, Arizona and, and that, you know, mid-major-esque program, I can live with that. I, I As upset as I was in the moment, like, I think the pride in how our team played just superseded that. Like, you... See, so you got to understand something. For teams like Arizona, this is their Super Bowl. Right, right? Like, exactly. they're not going to play in another bigger game the entire year, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to no Final Fours. They haven't been to one since, what, 97? So they're not going yeah. anywhere. So like, right. for Arizona, this is the biggest game of the year, and you got to understand that. And uh, that's 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 how it was for them. Right, and that's and, and that is absolutely accurate, and and that is my I think underscores my point even more. Like if if it takes that kind of effort to beat our team right now when we're two men down, essentially, have at it, take it. Uh, you know, have your Pac-12 championship or tournament championship. Yeah, they can have their dance exercise trophy. You know, like that's they, they like those <laughs> up there. It's it's good. You know, like they put a banner up for it if you want. I mean, I, I understand it's it's really important that you have to find ways to say that you've been relevant when you haven't been on the biggest stages of college basketball in a long time. So I get it. Yeah, look, good good for them. I I think I, I for me, I'd rather get this loss out of the way now. If if we're gonna lose now, and not lose for six more games, like I I will take that a hundred percent of the time, any day of the week. Um, so now let's talk about this game a little bit um, and the specifics of it. I, the biggest positive for me coming out of this game was we've talked about how our freshmen have been big in certain games of the year, but that rarely was ever in the biggest games of the year. And Amari Bailey taking the responsibility in this game to step up, be the leading scorer with 19 points, without shooting it well from three, by the way. Uh, he was I'm, one for I'm five calling, from three. I'm, I'm calling Amari Bailey's stat or line as having 21 points. Okay, fine. Let's let's do our sidebar now. Um, let's let's do this. <laughs> let's let's do this now. I, um, I refuse. I refuse to say that he has 19 points in that game. Or and he had two points. fouls, right? Not three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has two fouls and 21 points. So, Pac-12, if you want to know why everyone sticks your games at 7.30 and 8 o'clock and why no one cares to watch and why you are always having record low ratings and the least amount of teams in the tournament, it's because of shit like this, right? Like, the product on the court, that's probably the dunk of the year in the conference, right? He, who, was it over Larson that he jumped over? He jumps over Pella Larson, I think, and, and hits and, and dunks it. And he, he he ended Pella Larson's life on that. Play. He ended it, and and you want to call that an offensive foul? Like that says it all right there. If, if those are offensive fouls, then like I guess no one should be or is going to watch these games. Like you could see kind of Twitter because this is like it, it, it's the game before Selection Sunday, right? So you could see Twitter go live, and most of Twitter's like out there talking about what a joke the league is and what a joke the refereeing is. Cause like, this is the first time they're actually getting to see it and the biggest stage. Like that's what you want to put out there. So you deserve what you're going to get with this stuff. Well, bad calls happen all the time. I, I understand that, but that cannot happen. That I cannot look at in any angle 
And I don't think if any objective person who's looking at this game or that play could look at that foul at any angle or that play at any angle and see where there is a foul there. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you've seen the photos of the, the play from like three or four different angles. There's like very little contact actually made at all <laughs> on, between those two players. I mean, it is a guy going up in the restricted zone, by the way, not making contact with the offensive player who is literally leaping over him, dunking it on him. There's no contact. They called, I think, an off-arm push as an offensive foul there, which I don't even think Amari has his arm close to the the, the defender there. This isn't worth analyzing. It's, it's, re- it's really just, it's not worth analyzing right now. Like, you dunk on a dude. makes me angry. Like... At no level of like maybe in high school where like they don't want you to embarrass people like it, it like maybe there you do this stuff but but Tony Padilla who was the referee for the game right um, the Athletic ran a whole uh, a whole article last year about what coaches thinks about referees various referees around the country um, and and most referees reviews are mixed right like some are good some are bad Tony Padilla, Padilla like the consistent feedback on him was like you know and, and I'm gonna read one of them word for word never been a fan i can't stand at a high level the phantom calls the calls i don't agree with with one thing but the phantom calls you have no idea what to do with that and like that that sentiment is essentially what every coach has said about him and this is who the pac-12 employs so like you guys get what you deserve with this uh, if arizona is going to go join the big 12 soon and if utah is going to go join the big 12 and but you're got you you're going to find ways to sell san diego state and colorado state then you deserve it this is the product you're putting out on, on there across sports, and now, that's on you. Now, Big Ten fans, according to the, the Big Ten fans on Twitter, at least, are, are claiming that the Big Ten refing is just as bad, if not worse. I, I refuse to believe that because I have never once... And, and look, I, I'm sure the refing is bad. I'm sure the officiating is terrible in the Big Ten, too. Uh, from what I've seen, sure, it's been... You know, mixed. Look, you can have issues with refereeing everywhere. everywhere, right? Yeah. I don't think that there's ever been anyone as notorious, and I'm flipping a football here a little bit, but the meme that was Glasses Ref, that man was the epitome of bad refing. And guess where he came from? The Pac-12. You have Tony Padilla, Vern Harris, all these guys. I don't care if the Big Ten refs are just as bad. I'm just sick of seeing these guys screw teams over at this point like not even ucla like there's just bad refereeing with them across the board yeah i mean the pac-12 also had this really irritating tendency this this season to call traveling on like just initiating plays like how many times did we see that throughout the year it seemed just seemed like to be a, a point of emphasis for them and it's like okay well if your goal is to get like letter of the law stuff right where like the dot on the eye has to be the correct size then like sure you could look at that but literally everyone plays basketball that way so you're asking everyone to change like fundamentally how they play anymore so like it's stuff like that where you just start to look at it and say like again the product on the field on, on the court in this case is just not up to par with what's what's around there and and i haven't watched enough big 10 basketball to to, to comment on big 10 refs but i've watched a lot of big 10 football and I have my issues with Big Ten referees there too, but they're nothing like Pac-12 refs. So okay, now that back we're to the game. With, back to the game. Back to the game. So that play. 
Look, we get two points erased off that we lose by that margin. Okay, like, there's that aspect. But I think what pe- what people are missing in that play is that was a huge momentum swing. It, that play really felt like it was UCLA now. Again, there were other moments where they were able to kind of take some grasp of the game, but that specific play was felt like that was a, a a sign of things to come if that stands and the way that kind of took the air out of the team at that moment I think uh really really fucked us at the end of the day um and and look we responded well after that look we could have sulked and we kept playing our game but at the, like that is that is just a, a back-breaking moment in, in a game where you have a play like that just taken away for no good reason. If you uh, remember, like, I think it, it, it might be the very next play or, like, a play later, but Pella Larson comes back down the court and has another kind it of, It was like, literally the play down, later. Like, the exact same yeah. thing, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I think we've talked about, about enough about that dunk. This game, I think... That that was a big momentum shift. We we fought well. We took the lead into half. Dylan Andrews, I think, is the guy we got to call out. Um, he's another one. Both in the Oregon game, he had some, got some confidence, made a couple shots. And this game, early on when we were really struggling, hit some big shots, just opened things up a little bit. We got to give him his props there, too. Of course, he missed the three at the end of the game, but what do you do with that, right? He, 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 has, did, he made the right play. He has no reason to hang his head there, honestly. Like, look... He took the shot. I'm glad he took the shot. He should take the shot there. It didn't go in. And you can live with that at the end of the day. You can absolutely live with that. Now, I think where the game turned for us, obviously, is... Look, Mac and Kenny, they, they battled. Uh, but I thought there were moments when... And this is just inexperience on the part of Mac, right? Who hasn't played a whole lot. But when you have when you pick up two or three fouls, now at that point you see how the game's being officiated, and you know some ticky tack calls are coming your way. You can't be biting for pump fakes anymore. If you get beat, that's it. You're you're gonna have to let them score. Um, and and there's some things like that where I thought you know we just didn't take enough responsibility there, and d- losing Mac and Kenny uh, and getting them into foul trouble early in the second half, and then essentially losing them at, a, at close to the ten minute mark. Um, Offense, defensive rebounding just became a huge issue. Arizona got way too many second chances uh, in the, after we built that lead in the second half. Too many second chances that they they were able to convert enough of them, keep chipping out, chipping into the lead, and we were one and done uh, pretty much every time down the court because we we couldn't rebound on their big guys. I thought that was a huge turning point. And again, even with all of that, we were right in the game till the very end getting stop after stop with our small ball lineup. I thought Will McClendon was, came in at the very end and gave some good, really good defensive minutes. With him and Singleton stripping the ball, forcing turnovers, that's all you could ask for. The only negative now is, is what we're coming to that I can take from this game is this. Against a team like Arizona, you can hold them to 36%. We've seen this movie before. We can hold them to 36%. We can play great defense. You need to find some shots. Uh, in the end, at the end there to win the game. And we had our looks. Jaime had his looks. Tiger had his looks. Davis Singleton did not have his looks. He only shot three times because I think they were really keying in, in on him. Even with that, I feel like we should have found a way to get him the ball more. But then we've, we've talked about this before where, you know, we have good looks and they don't go. Um, the next time that happens, we're going home. So uh, 
we're, we're, we're officially out of time where we can say that won't happen next time. Uh, and, and that's the only thing negative I can take away from this game where I think we have many chances in those last two to three minutes where if we can just get one bucket, I think we win the game. Literally, it took one bucket. Even I, even though Arizona hit that three, I think just a one basket was, was going to change the complexion of that game. Um, and that's really the only quote-unquote negative thing I could take away from it. Yeah, I mean, look, our offense went cold. I, I think a lot of that did have to do with having our big guys out and having to exert so much energy on trying yeah, Tired to... legs. It was tired legs. I mean, the, the ball denial that, that, that our team was playing to keep from uh, to Bellas from getting the ball in the second half was incredible. I mean, we, we they had a, such a huge size advantage over us with, with no Mac, no Nuba, and they couldn't get Tubelas the ball half the time. Like, they just they couldn't in, get him the ball. It was, it was incredible to watch them just absolutely hound any ball handler uh, on defense. And, you know, that takes a lot of energy, and a lot of those shots were coming up short at the end of that game, and I... I I can't imagine that that did not play a factor into how we were shooting by the end of that game. And even having one big guy there uh, would have helped there. But you know what? I, I know you, you, you mentioned like, hey, these, these big guys need to do a little bit better in terms of fouling out or, or picking up ticky-tacky fouls. The way that game was being called, I don't think there's anything, anything that Nuba or Mac could have done to not get fouled out there. There was one foul I specifically remember on Nuba. It might have been his fourth, where he was just standing there. The other guy backed up into him. He was the last like, foul. Was, was it his fifth foul? foul? That was the f- yep. yeah. Like, what is he supposed to do there? That one was really terrible. I, look, I thought Ken Nuba, I think, did his best there. I think really that applies to Mac. There are way too many. There, there's a couple of instances I think where he, when he had three fouls, you know, jumping at pump fakes. That's really I think the only only complaint there. There was one egregious one on Mac. I remember he jumped. Well, but they, otherwise, they I mean, look. Flagrant. Otherwise, I, I think if we have Bona, and, and remember, like, we're not Arizona fans, right? So we take things in context. There is a great possibility Bona also gets into foul trouble in this game. Sure, like but he then did we the have first three time, guys, right? Right. But we have three guys, and I think like we saw in the first game the 10 minutes that Adembona plays, if he can be anything impactful like he was in the first game. But even a lesser version of that, we probably win this game going away. But by, you know, if it's like half of what he did in the, in the last game against Arizona, we probably win by about five, five, six points. And if it's exactly what he gave us in the last game, which is fair to expect at this point, we probably win it going away. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. I, I think Bona would have made a huge impact here. Especially, look... Umar Balo, for as much of the praise he was getting early in the season, is soft. I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Maybe Arizona fans will take take uh, uh, offense to that. But he's soft, man. Like, he's... I don't know what's wrong with him all of a sudden. He just is not playing great, even though he's bigger than everybody else in most cases. But And I think, you know what, I'll go as far as, as saying this. I think most of Arizona's team is is very soft compared to what we just saw from the Bruins in this game. I mean, you can't you can't take 
a team with two starters down and go down to the wire like that to them. I, if you're an allegedly one to two seed, I just I I refuse to say anything more about them. But I won't call them soft. I'll just say this: um, Arizona, when they play teams that they're better than, they can overwhelm them. Um, just again, their size, their shooting ability, they can overwhelm teams. It'll be really interesting to see in this tournament if they can get there, how they look against an elite team. Um, because, you know, remember, in both the times we lost to them, we were shorthanded. The first time we didn't have Amari Bailey. This game, obviously, we don't have two guys. And, look, again, we're not Arizona fans. Give them credit. They they made the big shot when they needed to. They won the game. Um, on a push-off. On a push-off. Uh, and, you know, the push-off's really interesting because... I almost wonder if Will selling it as much as it did hurt him in that. It was definitely a push-off. Um, but, like, I also wonder if he didn't try to sell it, can Raimi hit the shot? Because he's been cold the whole game. So that's also all, another interesting subplot in, in the game. Maybe that not. Was, that, 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 was, that, that, that felt a lot like, you know, the, the Caleb Love shot against Carolina. Ball bouncing around and happens to fall right to Raimi. Um, Look, shit... Yeah. Should Will have stood his ground? Probably. I also can't blame him if he's looking at the context of that game and how it's being officiated and being like, they've been calling all sorts of soft, dumb things. Yeah. I'm going to sell this foul here. I, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing for a player to kind of key in on as he's playing in this game and watching what else is going on. You're going to try to sell a foul one that's been being called all game long. I, I I do agree. He probably should have just stood his ground there a little more. But, you know, what can you do? It is what Again, it is. Like I said, get the loss out of the way now. Yeah, I mean, what, what was our winning streak at that point? What was it, like? 13, gotta, 14? Yeah, so trying to do that and then trying to win another six in this tournament. It's good to get a loss out of the way. Good to learn another another lesson because again, if there it, there is one area that we're weak, it's this, which is you know we are prone to offensive slumps. We saw it again. Let's see if there's something we can do to you know get some more solutions there going forward. Because again, the next time we do it, there's no more lessons to be learned. So you know we get the loss out of the way, we get some learnings out of the way, and we move on to selection Sunday. We move on to selection Sunday this morning. I, I think. The, How are uh, you feeling on Sunday morning? <laughs> uh, I won't go into that. <laughs> but look, I was I was still a little sad from from Saturday night. As as proud as I was of this team, it still hurt a little bit, uh, especially knowing that we're probably not going to get that one seed, and now we just kind of hold tight, keep our fingers crossed to make sure that we stay in the West. Uh, and that ended up happening. I think a two-seed in the West was significantly better than getting shipped off anywhere else, so I was fairly happy with that. Uh, I was really happy that Arizona got shipped south. Let them go there. Uh, You know, they'll still be in Sacramento, but at least we won't see them in the West anytime soon, and they'll get shipped off somewhere if they, they keep going through. You know, I I liked I like where we're sitting actually in this bracket. I I think we have a 
good shot of at making an elite eight here in a pretty smooth manner. Hopefully. Now this is assuming Bona's back. Yeah, so I'm sure many fans were watching all the pictures of him celebrating on the cheering on the bench last night, and then obviously today in the selection party and. He seemed to be in pretty good spirits, but not really moving that left arm, but still in really good spirits. And today, McCrona came out and said that he's feeling a lot better today. Uh, and reports are that he should be back next week. So uh, we, w- we will see about that. I think I think I was like, expecting us to get screwed a little bit, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, just based on how the last bracket reveal went. This bracket, if you look at how they did it, was kind of a... A little bit more of a mix of not just counting quad one wins. It still kind of was because by most metrics still, honestly, UCLA should have been a one seed. But okay, you know, if you want to talk about didn't have enough wins and such. My, my, my only issue, I think anytime you have committees picking things, we see this with the college football playoff, right? And, and with this, you're getting a bunch of people in a room who don't really know basketball. And all they can do is look at data points. And to them, they don't know how to do much more analysis than that, right? So, like, wins in early November are counted the same if you just beat a team that happened to end up being really good in November. Um, That's not really taken into context at all versus others. For example, you know, if you look at Purdue, right, who was the, 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 the last one seed in there, they have good wins, right? They beat Marquette, Gonzaga, Duke. On the surface, great wins. And then you look, if you look a little deeper, like that was back when Duke didn't really know how to play with their freshmen. And Gonzaga went through a period where they lost to a lot of good teams. And Marquette lost a lot of non-conference games. And we lost games back in early November when our freshmen didn't really know how to dribble a ball. So, you know, all that aside, you know, you, you're only going to get so many results. And the fact that we got a West seed in the end and didn't get bumped behind Arizona thanks to a two-point loss... I'll take it. I think it was the best that we were going to do. Yeah, look, we get to play in Sacramento. We get to, if assuming, you know, we, we keep playing well, keep winning, we would play in Las Vegas, which, you know, how I have mixed feelings about, but it's close to home. And then it's Houston. <laughs> it's, it's simple, right? Simple. Cool. Let's let's plan the party. Um, but but no, you know you're right. I, I look. I don't know why I took really great uh, joy in realizing that Arizona got shipped to Kentucky to Louisville after the first round. Uh, that was nice to see. So, yeah, I'll I'll take it. I I think. Uh, looking at our side of the bracket, there's a couple of challenges in there. Look, there, this is, it's March Madness. This is never an easy road. There's Every team is capable of beating somebody else, uh, even a 16 seed, as we've seen uh, a couple of years ago. So it can happen. We just Anything have to can happen. It. Anything can happen. It's, it's that time of the year. Um, I think if you just look at the bracket in aggregate, right, and let's just look at the West because that's where we are. Um, there's a view I think you could take that this is the quote-unquote bracket of death, right? Because you got Kansas, UConn, UCLA, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga, all five teams, all in the Ken Palm top 11. So that is uh, definitely 
definitely a challenge. That said, this tournament has never been about looking at every team and analyzing all of them. It's about analyzing your path and who is in front of you. Um, and if everything runs chalk here, this is going to be a really treacherous path. I think, again, if we assume chalk and that assumes we play well, then we get past this weekend and then we would have you know a, a path of Gonzaga and Kansas. That sounds pretty... Pretty daunting. Yeah. Somehow we always get stuck with Gonzaga somewhere, right? The, 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 the old enemy. Um, and then Kansas, I mean, that would be, you know, championship pedigree and, you know, just experience there. So that sounds like a daunting path. That said, you know, this is March Madness. Nothing ever goes chalk. Uh, and there's always some twist to be had. And that can happen to anybody, including UCLA. Look, I'd rather be in the bottom half of this bracket on our side than the top half where Kansas is. I think there's some, uh, a few more minds for Kansas than there are for UCLA right now. Um, just, I, there's, look, there's a, Kansas just got drubbed at home. Or not at home, but in the in their Kansas tournament. City, yeah. So, kind of home. Um, I, 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 I think... You know, without Bill Self, and, you know, we hear Bill Self is coming back, but they have St. Mary's in their side. They have Arkansas and UConn. Like, those are those are teams that can trip up a team, even a team like Kansas. So like, this isn't a gimme for them to just waltz all the way through either. I like our side of the bracket better. Like, I would much rather play a team like Northwestern or Gonzaga or TCU. And I'd frankly rather play UNC Asheville here um, to start this, this tournament off. I, I think we have a good chance here. I, I, you know, I'm not in the business of trying to uh, say we're going to win games because I am deeply, deeply... Uh, superstitious about this kind of stuff so I never say that I just assume we're gonna lose um so I don't jinx it but I I think we we have a good a good shot and a good road here to at least getting to that elite eight position yeah it's again every every year someone's the goat in this and when I say the goat, I mean like the bad goat, not the good goat. So you know, you so, so that's going to happen to somebody. Um, it'll happen in our bracket. We don't know to who. It'll happen in other brackets, and you know, we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. I think obviously it all all starts with the first weekend. If you don't don't win the first two games, you can't go to to Vegas and play all the big bigger games. So it's, it obviously starts all there. Um, how you feeling about these this? this weekend's games we play thursday night in sacramento and then would be a game on saturday if we were to advance so i'm not even going to talk about the game on potential game on saturday i, I think we only talk about the game on thursday here against unc Asheville. all right i uh, agree you know big south champions they won their tournament and they have some talent on this team, uh, Drew Pember, their big guy, is a transfer from Tennessee, and he's kind of their all-everything type of player. He leads them uh, with 20, 21 points a game, almost 10 rebounds a game. He is kind of the heart and soul of this team. Uh, but then they have uh, their guard, Tajion Jones, who is a three-point threat. Like, the guy is shooting 45% from three. Uh those guys essentially fill out 
most of their scoring, I mean, t- Jones is averaging 15 points a game. I mentioned that Pember is averaging 21 points a game. And then after that, if you look at the stats at least, you have a few guys averaging eight. So they're they're pretty reliant on two guys. Um, but I, I think this is a dangerous team, especially if Bona's not here. I think Pember is going to be a, a difficult guy to match up against if we don't have some of our athletic size in Bona there. Yeah, so, you know, we're not going to pretend like we know all about UNC Asheville and watched all their games, but, you know, there's the, the, the initial stat scouting of this, right? Um, they are one of the best teams in the country in three-point percentage. A lot of that's driven by the two players you just talked about, right? Uh, Drew Pember and... Tejon Jones. They're shooting 39% as a team, which as is a team. pretty wild. Yeah, which is pretty wild. So you look at that, and then another thing I always like to do before you know UCLA plays someone is I just go to their stats, and I go by, score by score, and I just look at their general, you know, what's their height weight profile. So Drew Pember is a very slim 6'10". Tejon Jones is 6'5". And then... They got another guard who is 6'3", and then they got a forward who is 6'8". So they got 6'8", 6'10", and then their last forward is 6'5". So it's not like Twin Towers or anything like we just saw with Arizona, but they got a, with their best player who is 6'10". And you got another forward who is 6'8". And their guards are more or less 6'5 or better, right? And you got the one short, shorter guy in there. So, you know, I, I always worry about teams that can athletically overwhelm UCLA. Because, uh, again, we, we play with a lot of heart and toughness. You're definitely not, you know, the most athletically superior team, especially with Jalen Clark out. And I, don't, I, I haven't seen these guys play once, you know. So, But with that said, like, the highway profile is, is there where, you know, it's it's not – completely worrisome but it's not one where you just go like oh okay well we're gonna win and then you look at the three-point percentages and that's usually how upsets happen so uh i think getting bona back will be big and then should bona get into any kind of foul trouble for any reason um it sounds like pember is a kind of big guy you're gonna chase around the the whole floor uh not just on the low block yeah he can shoot the three so that's going to be interesting where you know if our other bigs come in how do they move around with pember um, which th- their coach is probably going to try to to draw that up. Look, Mac Mac has been actually pretty decent in moving now. He looks like he's a little bit more limber. It looks like he's moving around the court now. He's not Bona. Uh, if you have Bona on Pember, I'm really not that worried about having him kind of chase him out to the three point line. But but yeah, if Bona isn't able to play. If Bona is, you know, on some sort of pitch count or is in foul trouble, then do we do we put Jaime on him? Do we put somebody a little bit more mobile on Pember? I don't know. That is a legitimate question because yeah, he 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 from what I can tell is is kind of a similar player to Brandon Carlson in many ways, right? He's kind of a finesse big guy who can shoot the three. Um, so we've seen similar types of players to this, and you know Carlson. Played well, has played well against us, but you know, we were able to limit him to some degree, and we'll see if we can do that here. But yeah, having a Dembona in this game will change the complete complexion of how we play this. Um, 
And we absolutely have to kind of stick on the three-point line here. We cannot let this team get hot. This is the type of team that, yeah, you're right. You let them get hot from behind the arc, and they bury you after. Yeah, you don't want them light, 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 lighting up the Golden 1 center, right? Uh, that 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 definitely be disheartening. Now, running teams off the three-point line, we did that well in this conference tournament. We're going to have to continue to do that. Um, by all By all means, run teams off the three-point line. And then the other thing you got to look at for uh, UNC Asheville, and I'm reading this directly again from the, the ESPN tournament analysis, so, you know, got to go watch more of them. But apparently turnovers and rebounding are not their strengths. Uh, they they do turn not, the ball that over. That is also what I've read about them. Right, and, and rebounding is also, despite the fact that they got a little size, they're not great rebounders. So for UCLA... You think about how you avoid an upset, don't turn the ball over, create turnovers, win the rebounding margin, and run them off the three-point line. And do those things, everything else hopefully should take care of itself. But, you know, you, you, you play sloppy and don't create enough off of their turnovers. You let them get hot. That's when I think this uh, this can get dangerous. I think offensively, I know we've talked about kind of our slumping in, in parts of the game. It's um, it's kind of crazy to say this in some ways, but I don't think that this this is too controversial. I, I, I think we take the ball a little bit out of Jaime and uh, Tiger's hands when we need offense and let Amari Bailey cook. The kid is playing with the most confidence he's ever played with, I think. He is getting to the rack. He's getting to the line. He's hitting threes. I know he didn't hit one against Arizona that I can remember, but he's taking that stroke you confidently. He is a guy who can get you a bucket when you need it, and he did that time and time again in the conference tournament, and I think we need to lean on that a little bit more. If Jaime, you know, everyone's going to go, you know, key in on Jaime, obviously. He is a national player of the year candidate. He's going to get his regardless. You know, Tiger Campbell, again, we know he can get hot from three. People know that also, and he is kind of the heart and soul of the team and, and will be always a good facilitator and take care of the ball. But when we need a go-to bucket in dry spells, I, I really think we need to start kind of scheming and running the offense a little bit more through Amari because he's the one guy now on our team who can get his own shot. He can get uh, his own shot, and and again, you know, what's gonna be what's interesting in the tournament, right? You play an entire conference season where you play a team's home and away, and then a conference tournament. The book is out, right? I mean, teams have scouted you so well; uh, they all know everyone's strengths and weaknesses. For Amari Bailey. Even in conference play, the book really wasn't out on him because he was kind of his usage was up and down the whole year. From here on out, he can probably get the shots that he wants at least for the first two rounds, uh, or at least for the first two games here. Um, if if he want if he wants and, and and he's able to stay controlled doing it. What I liked about him in, in against Arizona was I don't think he forced anything. Uh, you know, we saw that at times earlier in the year where. He would be dribbling around to nowhere, not really sure where to go with it. I don't think he he felt like that at any moment against Arizona. And if he didn't have a shot, he let it go. 
brought it back. Definitely we need to bring him into the loop with Tiger and Jaime and become that bona fide third scorer. And if he can improve into that through this month and through this tournament, I think we're going to have a great shot here. Um, and I think this game against Asheville, um, you know, some, some steps in that direction would be great. I haven't seen Amari Bailey a score at the rack with so much control as he has his last two or three games. Uh, confidently, aggressively, and just uh, getting to the rim when he need, wanted to. And he needs to continue doing that. I, I don't want him to fall in love with the three-point shot. I don't think he will. But you know, when that's open, he needs to take it. But I think his game is slashing and getting to the rim. And he's doing that at a very, very, very high level. Uh, the other person on offense that we absolutely need to get going is Dave Singleton. Dave Singleton cannot be a guy who takes essentially one three in a game uh, against Arizona. And it was a desperation three at the end of a shot clock. We need to scheme him open way 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 more than we have been uh, and let him take those shots because he's our one of our only legitimate really really elite shooters here are really our only elite shooter here from three and so we need to be able to utilize him a little bit better than we did against Arizona uh, and again to your point Arizona has the scout. They know who Dave Singleton is. Dave Singleton just a week ago lit them up from three, right? They know who to stop here. UNC Asheville probably knows Dave Singleton's a great shooter. Look, the stats are there. The stats tell the story themselves. But they haven't seen him play. They don't know his tendencies. And, and I think, you know, we can take advantage of that against a team like like Asheville here. Um I think getting him going, though, is, is going to be key. Not just for this game, but just... If we are to make a deeper run, his offense is going to play a very, very important part. And we Dave Singleton getting another shot. zero is a great way to send us home, right? Yeah. Like, that can't happen again. We can't have him th take three shots, uh, especially in a game where we're struggling for offense. Um, yeah, we, we, we needed to find other ways to get him open, and, and we tried the drive and kick methods. Um, Arizona was not biting on those drives like they were in the first game, and it ended up being a lot of, you know, Tiger and Jaime shots that just weren't going in. But even with all of that, there has to be another way to get him the ball. We cannot just let him hit shoot three times. You have to think Mick knows that. Um, he can't be going and getting zero again, especially in a game where we're missing so many players. Um, so, so that is absolutely there. Jaime, I think, is another one that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, the Pac-12, I think, scouted him really well. He's still able to get his points. Um and but these other teams He's always rebounded well. Always rebounding, right? These other teams, probably if you don't know anything about UCLA, you haven't watched them the whole year, you've probably heard, oh, well, you know, they got this guy, Hawkes, and he takes a lot of their scoring, and then Tiger likes to, you know, hold, dribble the ball a lot. And if you just pack it inside and let him, let him make, force him shoot from outside, then uh, you're going to have a good chance. And, and I think UCLA has heard those narratives throughout the year, and that's where you've started to see the different answers, ways that you present Jaime, right, from the top of the key. Um, he's added a three-point shot. Tiger shooting from the mid-range has always been there, but then, you know, all, getting getting down the lane, lobbing to a Dembona, the, the drive-and-kick action with Singleton. There's other ways UCLA has started to counteract that. Now you throw Bailey into this mix. So again, this is where you're. We'll have to see as this tournament goes on. Teams that ha haven't scouted UCLA as well, 
is this rut on offense going to continue, um, you know, in, at, at any stretch? I mean, it's going to happen at some point, right? But is it going to happen for as long as it did maybe against Arizona this, this last game? Like, that's the stuff that we're going to have to see. And this is that, this, this part's on Mick Cronin. It is 100% on Mick Cronin. I know we don't have, like, a ton of shooters left, right? But we got enough. Uh, like, Singleton can shoot. Uh, Tiger can still shoot from three. Bailey, I think, is a capable three-point shooter. He's not consistent yet, but he's a capable shooter. So is Jaime. Jaime and Jaime is a capable three-point shooter as well. This kind of has the feel of, like, you know, the the 2019-20 Lakers that won the championship in the bubble, right? Uh, it's not that, you know, Jaime and Tiger or LeBron and AD here. They're not. But, but you got your two superstar players, and then you got a bunch of shooters who are not really, like, real plus shooters but the hope with that team was always like, hey, you know, get one of the superstars to carry you, get one other guy to support you, and then one of the role players has to show up. I think we do have that formula within this team, and that part's completely on Micarona to figure out how can we get that formula moving in every single game going forward. Yeah, I I think um, we have we didn't even mention Dylan Andrews, but he's he's shown up in the last couple of games in spot minutes, coming in and shooting big shots. Uh, so we have guys who can hit shots. We just need to, to get them going. I, I think the one guy who <laughs> I, I, I feel bad saying this, but I've lost some hope in terms of generating offense out of him is, is Willie Mack, Willie McClendon. Uh, yeah, look, man, I'm with he, you a little bit there, sadly. He, look, he comes in and plays great defensive minutes. Let's not discount that. I think that is incredibly valuable uh, he is contributing to the success of the team. Let's let's not discount that. But when the, the te- other team is leaving you completely open with nobody closing out, you have to make them pay for that. And for a guy who you, you keep hearing all season how great of a shooter in practice he is, I just... I don't see it yet, man. Like, there's there's just... I know he's hit a few here and there over the season, but... He's hit two here and there. <laughs> like, let's be clear, right? He... If we could get a little bit of offense out of him, that would go a long way, I think, of at least having the other team uh, respect his, his presence on the offensive side of the floor. But I, I don't see it this season at least I'm not giving hope on him long term I, I that let's just be clear i'm just saying for these next potential this next game at least and potentially five after i don't i don't think willie will mcclendon will be an offensive threat here but he defensively look we got to get him in the game when we need to to body up a little bit the other thing i will say about this game <laughs> is we need to pray and sacrifice lambs, do whatever the fuck we need to do to make sure and hope Adembona is back on the floor. I mean, put some ice on that shoulder, give him whatever medication he needs to get get that feeling good. Uh, because Bona absolutely will change the complexion of this game in, for the better for us. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to see him in this tournament, so it's uh, it's unfortunate timing for him to get injured. Obviously, sounds like he 
will be back at some point soon. Um, let's hope it is Thursday, and let's hope he is he is back healthy. Uh, again, we also don't want to uh, impact his long term prospects in any way here. So, so uh, the lineup, I think now, like I, I'm with you on all of this. Um, yeah, I, I've held out hope. I've been held, holding out my hands for for Willie Mack to hit a shot. He hit the one against Stanford, but you know. The, the two that he threw up in this game were were, were not good. Um, the, the, they were the miss against, Yeah, the miss against Oregon, it wasn't good. And I, I like every other part of this game. I really do. Um, defense, passing, ball handling. Uh, it's really hard to be a functional player as a freshman. We, like We've seen enough dysfunctional freshmen at UCLA over the years. Right, pre, pre-McCronin. Like, we, we know what those look like. And it's not Will McClendon. We we would have died for Will McClendon on on some of those previous teams, but right now he's just he's not he doesn't have the confidence he's not able to shoot the ball. The lineup that Mick really has to prepare for um, is the lineup that we saw against Arizona. We're gonna play this lineup in the tournament, and it's gonna be you know probably Tiger Jaime and either Amari or Dave Singleton with Will McClendon and a, either Mac Etienne or Ken Nwuba. Where how do we get offense with that lineup? Because you're playing three on five there. There are two guys who are absolutely zero threat to touch the ball and score, and they're not even going to be looking at the basket when they when they catch it. So that's going to be a challenge for Mick, and and he we we need a solution there besides you know let's just let Tiger dribble all over the court. Um, how does that happen? I don't know. It's a huge challenge. It's three on five, but we need to find ways where that lineup can still be effective out there because we're probably going to need it at some, at some point. And there's variations of that too, right? Like there's lineups probably where we'll need to play Dylan instead of Tiger with those same players. So we got to be ready for solutions there. And that's completely on Mick. I'm sure he knows that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that's the one thing that, that, would, that would scare me a bit. I'll challenge our three on five a little bit. I, I think our bigs in those situations, they're not great offensive threats, but they can be capable enough if you can get them a good look there. Uh, we've seen, I, I feel like we've seen enough out of Mac and enough out of Nuba to where if you can get them at a, at a good position in the low post, like they can get you a bucket or at least kick out. I, I, Ken Nuba actually, he, he impresses me sometimes with his with his passing from underneath the, the basket. Ken Nuba is a great screen setter. He, he, he sets really good screens on, on offense. He sets great screens, but there's been a few times where he'll catch the ball, and this is, you know, when he catches the ball because he does have a little bit of a, a fumbling problem sometimes, but... You know, if he has the ball down low and we get cutter guys coming in, he he does have pretty decent court vision and get can get those guys balls. Like he is not, and and Mac as well. I I don't think they're as bad offensively as we we uh, have said they are. But but I think McClendon has shown he he's you know, he really has zero scoring touch right now. Um, so we'll I'll, I'll give you four on five here. I think, okay, here's the key. Maybe, you know what, like three and a half on five. How about that? <laughs> uh, for Will, fine, if you're not fine. able to shoot, if you're not able to shoot, right, like this, it, it feels a lot like Lou Dort a couple years ago on the Thunder, right? Really good defender, short, stout guy, strong, but just didn't know how to shoot the ball. Like literally could not shoot the ball. 
if you if you get the ball again other in the Pac-12 they were just running completely off of you he might he might get that treatment again in this tournament he might not so if you get the ball figure out what it is you're going to do is it going to be drive and kick or if you're completely wide open I still think you have to shoot but he needs to be really clear about what his role is with the ball and I and I give him this like I do think he does have a good understanding of that like he does have a good understanding of that yeah, look, I, I don't. He's a smart player. I don't think he he makes the wrong decision. It's just he doesn't doesn't have the confidence right now to put the ball in the bucket, and that's what it comes down to. And we were hoping seeing a couple of those shots uh, in the past few games go down would help, but he just after a couple of those came came and went. Uh, this was like five or six games ago at this point like we haven't seen that consistency or that help him get confident in any way which is which is a shame um for the long-term prospects of this team right now but uh you 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 can't help but root for the kid either like you want to see him succeed and he is again like i said contributing on the on defense we just need him to not be a net negative on offense right now and uh you know, who knows? The tournament, crazy stuff happens. Maybe he catches fire. <laughs> That's yeah. probably wishful thinking. But Again, it, it just comes back to the onus is on our seniors, which is Jaime, Tiger, and Dave, As and now you throw Amari Bailey into that mix. They got to take the responsibility. At least two of them got to be ready to go and contributing major points on any given night. The tournament in any tight game it comes down to shot making unfortunately like ucla should know this all too well from the past two seasons right because we were on the right side of that two years ago with johnny juzang and we were on the wrong side of that a year ago with caleb love right like you're gonna need the toughness the character all the stuff that ucla has is absolutely great it is fantastic and then you when when a game gets tight when palms gets what you need some shots to go in and that's the part we're gonna have to figure out if we're if we're gonna be to succeed in this tournament. And I think we got the we got the people to do it. It's gonna come down to, you know, can we do it? It's gonna come down down to, down to coaching at that point. Yeah, I I agree. And and let's not get away from our our identity here either. I I know we've mentioned some defense against UNC Asheville, but this is this. I guess the identity of Mick Cronin's teams are going to be defense. Absolutely. We, we, yeah, we, we cannot, we, we cannot go away from that. I think what we've seen in these last two games against, you know, teams that you can argue are, are slightly more talented right now because of our injuries. Our defense is what put us in positions to win those games. Like bar none, there's, there's no doubt about it. It was not guys lighting up the floor from on offense. It was, our guys as a team defending with the utmost effort they possibly could put out there. Uh, and if we do that and we can hit timely shots, then you know, we can beat anybody in the country and we're as good as anybody else. And in, in the intangibles, I would argue we're probably better than anybody else. So it, it all obviously all has to come together in a tight time frame over six games to make that kind of run. We have guys who have the experience. We have a good coaching staff. We have the talent. The depth might not be there all of a sudden, but, you know, it's six games. That's that's what it takes. And 
we can go on runs of, you know, 14 games, 13 games. What the fuck is six games? It's nothing. Yeah, I mean, hey, and it starts with the next game. You know, it's it's just one game at a time. We'll see who we play when yeah. we play yeah. them, right? So one game at a time. We got to be us. If we do us, then 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 we'll see if everyone else is good enough to beat us, right? Like we've said this in, a, in other games this year. We got to be do our identity. We got to do what we do best, which is defense, take care of the ball. And then from there, we'll see what happens, right? You got to make timely shots. You got to do all that stuff. The ball will bounce funny ways. But let's try to do what we do best and then let the chips fall within it. I agree. Um, this is what I... One other thing I will comment about going into this tournament. If you watch the the selection shows, you watch the, the kind of previews or follow some of these pundits and talking heads around college basketball, UCLA, for whatever reason, regardless of the actual data and statistics, even adjusted for the last couple of games without key starters uh, has become a, a trendy kind of team to pick to be upset early. And if I'm Mick Cronin, and I think he did this with this, this, uh, conference tournament too, but if I'm Mick Cronin, I'm printing all that shit out and, and posting that all over the locker room. Cause if, if that's not fuel to, you know, tell the the haters to to shove it then i don't know what is and that's that's you gotta love that kind of narrative because that's exactly the type of stuff that mick cronin hates and you know that he's going to hopefully feed off of that and have the team feed off of that um so that's another another thing to watch out for i think we we uh we uh people might be doubting us but that's kind of exactly what we we might want from uh from the media right now for this team absolutely yeah um you know what i didn't even watch any of that selection show once the final bracket came out like i just i heard seth davis talking i just turned it off like <laughs> that, that was it like what, what what's what, what else is there to listen to our um, old friend seth davis yeah, and like, so like the brackets came out, you know, uh, the, the, they started with the South region. I saw Sacramento in there. I was shitting my pants, and it wasn't us. And then the West region came around, and I turned off the show. That was it. Like, I don't need it here anymore. So, it will but, be interesting, uh, speaking of Sacramento, having, you know, both the uh, Arizona and UCLA fan bases kind of in that city at the same time again. Um <laughs> There's there's clearly no love lost there anymore. I think all this this stuff with uh, Hep Cronin going on, um, which you know, there's a bogus Twitter account claiming that Hep tried to punch a seventeen year old. Now, if you read this post, it's actually laughably funny. Um, I would highly encourage people to read it and just laugh at how stupid this uh, alleged uh, incident is. That is saying have to punch somebody but it's, essentially what happened is Arizona fans apparently got into uh, Hep Cronin's face after the game uh, Mick 
obviously was not very happy. He left the press conference once he found out. But now there's a, uh, a, a fake account, essentially, that was created, like, this morning saying that Hepa tried to punch a 17-year-old kid, and that's why the altercation happened. Uh, the quote in this, like, bogus uh, write-up is that the police <laughs> refused to take a statement from these uh, allegedly victimized Arizona fans, and the quote is hilarious. It's they allegedly the police told them, "Hep told you not to walk in front of him," and they police allegedly walked away without taking a report. Why the Las Vegas police somehow know Hep Cronin by his first name and didn't take a report is like one of the dumbest fakest shit I've ever read online. Um, but I think this incident, any chances of a uh, future out of conference type matchups with Arizona, probably not going to happen for a very long time. Not to mention the bottles and stuff being thrown at Amari Bailey at the end of the game. Uh, that's, yeah. If that's we remember correctly, right? Like a, a year ago, like these fans and I'm not excusing what he did, right? But, like, trying to press felony charges against a, a, an 18-year-old, like, really? Like, you're doing all that, and then now you see, like, the other side of the coin here, right? With pushing and shoving, like, a really old... an, an old guy. He's 81. Um, yeah, 81. like, I mean, it's it's just kind of par for the course with, with Arizona fans. Um I can give all the adjectives about it. it. It's disgusting. It's terrible. That that whole Twitter thing where someone makes up something to about how someone shoves something is all things you kind of just come to expect from from Arizona fans. So you know, hey, hopefully this weekend one of their fans don't, don't throw beer bottles around, or you know, they don't come up and try to start fights again. So yeah, like, well, hopefully all that stuff doesn't happen, right? Yeah, look, I. Nobody likes that ugly stuff. Uh, you don't want to see it, especially during a game, especially with older folks. Like it's it's not cool. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what how that will go over having those fan bases in the same city. But you know what? After that, if they go through, they'll get shipped off to Louisville, and they can take a flight or train or. However, the hell you get to Louisville, Kentucky from Tucson. Yeah. Can't imagine that's an easy, easy uh, commute from one yeah, second I mean, rate airport to another. Man, I'm actually I'm I'm curious. I want to look up this this commute. Right, like what would this look like? Over under on layover more than like one layover. So there is a south. I'm looking at it right now. There's a Southwest flight from Phoenix. So they have to drive, like, what, an hour and a half to Phoenix and then, like, take the flight from there to Louisville. So I guess so like that's... a five-hour flight? Four-hour pro- flight? Probably something like that, yeah, to Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, that, that would be their commute. So it sounds like a day of driving and then flying the entire time. So, uh, yeah, have, have, have fun with that. I'll say this about Sacramento. When, when we were there in... The Lonzo Ball year, uh, I went to those games. Very good UCLA crowd. We need the crowd to show up again. I say this fully guilty myself of someone who's not going to be in town this weekend because i got to go to a wedding. So, yes, throw the boo birds at me. I, I totally deserve it. 
But you know what? Um, we need our fans to show up here, and if we do happen to advance after this weekend, we need our fans to show up there too because we, we, we did all the stuff this year so that we can get the pods in Sacramento and then we can get the, the pods in Vegas. So we do need our fans there. So, yes, Arizona travels really well. We all get it, but, but now it's tournament time, and hopefully we can get some good Bruin fans out there. Kevin, if you have people getting married in March, they shouldn't be your friends. It's uh, that's disrespectful of them. You know what? Maybe I gotta un RSVP now. So maybe I'll end up doing that, and you'll you'll see me there. Who knows? There's, you know, college football season and March Madness. You can't, you can't schedule weddings then. I'm. It's I'm, wrong. I'm... It's wrong. You're convincing me, man. You're, you're. I'm, I'm slowly teetering over the edge here. Maybe, you know what? Cabo over spring break is great and all, but uh, Sacramento sounds better. Hell yeah, <laughs> sack, sack any day. Golden One Center's gonna be lit. Um, yeah, we, we, we're, we're hoping for a big, big Bruin contingent out in Sacramento, and and beyond. Hopefully, that's the goal. Um. Yeah, but with that, um, yeah, let's let's see what happens this weekend. I'm excited. I'm hoping for a deep run. Uh, I have my bracket all set up. Well, kinda. I will probably make some poor decisions late into the night, uh, and as this week goes on. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's March Madness time. It's the best time of year. This is exciting. Good time to be a UCLA fan, UCLA alum. Um, yeah, let's let's hope and pray for the best here. Let's uh, let's show this uh, show the country what what we're made of here. Enjoy every game that we got, um, because again, uh, UCLA fans have had some tough years uh, over the last you know ten years or so, and you don't know when these years come around. So you know every game as and when they happen. And then when it whenever it finishes, you know appreciate it all for what it was. Look, the unfortunate reality of this is, you know, if we're not here next Sunday night again talking about a Sweet 16 matchup, we're going to feel terrible. The season's going to be a failure. All of that is completely true. But each game, you know, it's one more chance to to see these Bruins have done so much for us. Uh, you know, play one more time, and we're the four letters. So enjoy each game. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's rarely in the last decade we've had players like Jaime and Tiger and Dave Singleton and even the Kenny Nubas of the world. Like these guys don't come around very often. Uh, this team's very special. And if uh, this past weekend wasn't further proof of the, the heart uh, and toughness of these guys, then I don't know what else will be. And, and I expect that to carry over. And for this team to, to play with pride, regardless of the outcomes here, uh, you you cannot doubt that they will compete and fight till the bitter end here. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's go get this first win and then go from there. Uh, I think that's all we have today. I know that was a lot. There's a lot going on, um, but it's March Madness, so uh, we will hopefully catch you guys next week uh, after this weekend. Uh, hopefully, we're previewing previewing uh, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament with uh, more UCLA games and uh, we will go from there but as always uh, if you enjoy the show please uh, tweet reshare give us feedback 
Uh, we'd love for you guys to, to give some reviews on Spotify and Apple and whatever different uh, mediums that you're accessing us through. Uh, and yeah, we will hopefully catch you next week. And as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.